don't know. I think I was always interested in comedy and always interested in humorous writing and stuff like that. Um, once I started, like once I went to my first open mic, I just knew like that was it. I just couldn't not do it. The joke that I used to make, which was very true at the time, uh, and is becoming less true the more I do comedy, but I used to say, people would go, oh, you're so comfortable on stage. How do you do it? You're so comfortable on stage. And the little joke I would have with myself was like, well, I'm equally uncomfortable everywhere. So it kind of doesn't matter <laughs> if I'm on stage or not. And when I'm in it with the audience, um, I just feel the most like myself. Like I feel very free on stage in a way that I don't always, even in the, in the rest of the world, it's kind of opposite. Like most people don't want to speak publicly or are afraid of that sort of thing. And there's something about me and my constitution that that's, that's what opens me up. Through doing comedy, I've been able to unlock all these really cool things about myself and about the way that I want to be in the world. Um, so for that reason, it just, it all clicks and I feel like I know that I'm on the right track. On this week's episode, we bring you Deanne Smith, who's one of the hottest comedians in the world. We go deep as she talks about the process of writing her material, how she prefers the pressure of external deadlines, and that through comedy, she was forced to become a better person working on her own self-growth. Finally, Deanne talks about the pivotal moment in her life when she decided to take comedy serious as a profession. And speaking of professions, if you want to up your game in your profession, you should look into our American Real Academy, where we're showing people how to podcast, we're teaching people how to write their own book, and becoming better at communication, live video, and joining our American Real Live Tribe Worldwide. You can go to our website, AmericanReal.tv, for more information. And now, I bring to you the one, the only, Deanne Smith. This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks. Today my guest is Deanne Smith. Thank you for being on our show. I, you're welcome. I'm excited. I didn't know what I was getting into. The American branding is a lot for me to take in as a Canadian resident, but all right, here we are. And I love Canada. I spent a lot of time in Canada for many years. I love Toronto. I love Montreal. 
And you've been living there for how long now? Uh, gosh, um, since I guess about 2005. Yeah. But where, I, there's so many cameras in here. This is such an intense. There's 17 cameras. There's 17 cameras. No, no, I'm I kidding. can't look at I'm all of them. There's um, five cameras. No, but I left the US of A in 2000 ish. When, remember when George W. stole the state of Florida? Yes. That's when I got out. Okay. So this is very confronting for me. Okay. All of these, all of these flags. But um, it's great to have you here. Thank and you. What's it like coming home? You're from this area. You know, uh, it's great. <laughs> I'm saying with my dad, he's a very cranky old man. That part's not fun. I don't think he knows how to use the internet. I don't think he'll see this. Uh, but in general, like this area, Southern Tier, Binghamton, Endicott, it's very beautiful. All the rolling green hills. I mean, this, these are the landscapes I grew up with. I love it. And now that you've had an opportunity to travel quite a bit, yeah. I'm sure it's probably a different feel when you come home, right? A little bit. I mean, I just, I think people here, oh, it's hard to say. There's so much going on. But in general, um, I think people here have a really good quality of life. Like, I just, I'm always amazed at how expansive everything is, how beautiful everything is. Like, and convenient. And convenient. You know? Yeah. I know I'll, I'll go to New York or, you know, visit. I was just down in North Carolina visiting uh, my cousin who's in Raleigh and the traffic, you know, there's just a lot to deal with outside of this area that I think we're a little bit spoiled here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just have to ignore like the growing meth problem uh, <laughs> and then you're fine. It's a problem though. It's, a, yeah. it's obviously a big problem. Yeah. Do you see that up in Canada? Uh, I mean, it's probably there, but in the city you don't see that as mm -hmm. much. And you're living in Toronto? Yeah. Tell us about it. But, uh, I don't know, Toronto's great. It's clean. There's a lot of glass condos. It's uh, and a lot of cranes, of, right? A lot of cranes. Yeah, tons of construction. It's growing. Yeah. The last I heard it was over five million. I don't. I don't know. It feels like a lot. Yeah. But you enjoy the Canadian lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> People are laid back. People are very friendly. Yeah, I think so. I mean, probably in ways that I don't even register anymore because I've been there for, I guess, over a decade at this point. Um, I don't know. People are people pretty much everywhere, I think. What I like about Toronto is it's like very diverse. There's a lot of people everywhere, like a lot of different types of people everywhere. And if you just like stand still on the street, you can hear three languages. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So you literally picked up and left after George Bush stole the election. Pretty much. I went to Mexico for a while and taught English hmm. um, and just kind of deferred real life. That was before I knew what I really wanted to do. And then, uh, and then from there I went to Canada. Do you want to know the real reason that I went to Canada? I would love to know. This is going to blow your mind. Okay. Um, because I was dating a girl in Mexico and then she wanted to go to Montreal to go to mime school. And I hadn't started comedy yet, so I didn't have a real purpose in my life. And uh, I followed a Mexican mime to Canada. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. And what happened? Uh, she went to mime school. We broke up. The next girl I dated was also going to mime school, which I didn't like choose it that way. And then I had to be like... You're not kidding. Are mimes my type? Um, no, I'm not kidding. <laughs> That's priceless. I'm just really into pale, silent girls. <laughs> We'll pretend it's a lot windier than it. No, um, uh, no, no. I just I, then I just uh, yeah. There's a lot of mimes in Montreal. It's a very circusy, mimey kind of place. Huh. Yeah. Very cool. So that's that's the reason you went up and you've you've stayed. And then I just stayed. now are you a citizen? 
No, I'm a permanent resident. Uh, okay. So I can do everything except vote. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And is it everything you were hoping for as far as leaving this country? Yes. Did it serve the purpose? <laughs> I think it did, yeah. Because really, honestly, like a lot of people said, I'm, you know, I'm out here. Yeah. And, and you actually did it. So I, I did it. And as mm -hmm. things are taking a turn, it feels like uh, the right move to have made. But we'll see. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So let's talk about your craft. Okay. The craft of comedy. Yes. I'm always amazed of just the confidence to get up on the stage. So can you take us back, like early days? What, first of all, what gave you the idea and the confidence to say, okay, I, you know, I think yeah. I, I could do this. Well, I used to um, write like humorous articles uh, online and stuff. And then I started thinking it would be easier to get on stage and, and do it. And, it. and it wasn't easier, but it was a lot more fun. As for the confidence part of things, I'd say that that's something I developed as I've been doing it. Um, but the joke that I used to make, which was very true at the time, uh, and is becoming less true the more I do comedy, but I used to say, people would go, oh, you're so comfortable on stage. How do you do it? You're so comfortable on stage. And the little joke I would have with myself was like, well, I'm equally uncomfortable everywhere. So it kind of doesn't matter <laughs> right, if I'm on stage are. or not. And like, you know, obviously we have something built into us as humans where we're like, social acceptance is important. We're afraid of rejection. I, I mean, everybody feels that. But at the same time, once you've been on stage and the worst thing that can happen happens, which is that nobody laughs, you realize it's really not that big of a deal. I mean, just life carries on and, and you might remember that moment for a little while but everyone else forgets about it it's really not a big deal and I'm trying to relate that just I guess to my life or people that are listening or watching to their lives you know is it is it really the ego is it kind of letting letting that go um, to be I, able to get past it maybe I need to understand the question well um, I know for me yeah it's hard to get past what people think about you until you could really lower your ego to say, mm -hmm. look, you know, no one probably really cares. Yeah. That's know? an important thing to remember. Right? Yeah. Really? Because really yeah. no one cares. Yeah. You know, maybe you get a remark or two from one or two people, but in the big picture, it's more inside our head, you know, this life inside our, and I actually heard you talking about that in some of your skits. Yeah. You know, the that person inside of your head, yeah. you know? Do I do this, do I do that? Am I the good person, the bad person today? So um, I'm just wondering fr from the craft itself, you know, the, the confidence level, is it okay? Yes, I'm confident, yeah. but also it's not, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. And the way that I approach it is, I'm like, I'm trying to have fun myself and I want everybody else to have fun. So I do try to leave my ego out of it. Um, yeah, I don't because it isn't really about ego. It's about there's a very clear measure if you're doing your job or not, and that's if people are laughing right. and if they're having fun. And it's really that easy. And it doesn't you don't have to take it personally or you know. right. But it did take time, yeah. right, to get to the point where you are now. Yeah, where you're you know in these large venues and you have hundreds, if not thousands, of people. Yeah, listening and watching. Yeah, I think I used to put more pressure on it and then I just kind of realized that like it literally doesn't matter and I mean that in the most positive way not like in a nihilistic way but um was that freeing in some ways like oh okay. yeah 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 I could see that yeah awesome 
So can we talk about material? Sure. So I'm a writer. And even with this, even with the podcast, there's a lot of preparation. Yeah. Um, keeping things fresh. So I'm thinking about your craft and, you know, the repetitiveness of it when you, I guess when you're in a season, if you will, mm -hmm. I would think that you're doing some of the same material as you go, but are you always thinking about new material? I'm not always thinking about new material. I probably should be, but you do, you know, like with any kind of writing, you can go through ups and downs with it, you right. know? Um, I tend to, well, I make a lot of notes. Like the phone is really handy for that. Like when you have a quick idea or you see something that sparks your interest. So I make a lot of notes in my phone and, and jot things down like that. Um, I mean, are you, are we talking about creation of material and how it happens? Yes, really the, I'm thinking about it from the craft, you yeah. know, really from the art of developing a, a show. Yeah. You know, how do you start? Oh, right. Um, but I always have to start with something that's like interesting to me, obviously. Um, I tend to, I go to Australia almost every year and I do new one hours over there. So um, I'm very often in the position where I have a menu booked. I have producers that I work with over there. So it's not just me. Like I have the pressure of other people involved and, and other people making money on, on what I'm doing. Uh, so oftentimes there'll, there'll be a point in the year, like December, January, where I have, a, I have venues booked, I have tickets sold, and I don't know what the show is yet. Wow. And I think that's the way to do it. Like, that's what I need. I need like, external deadlines and that little bit of pressure or something to work towards. Um, if it was just up to me, I, I, I would not be turning over a new hour every year. Um, and then it's like a back and forth, really, where I'll be, um, you know, alone in the room, writing down some ideas. And you take it out to stages and see how it does in a live room. And then you'll discover that some things work better than you thought they would. Some things don't work at all. And you have to give it a few, like a few tries, you know, back and forth. If it's like the third or fifth time you've done something the exact same way and nobody's into it, you should probably change it or let it go. Um, but I, I have a real back and forth between being on my own and thinking about things and how to articulate things and then letting it live in the room you know, where it lives. And a lot of things I develop on stage with an audience. Like really? I'll be, I'll be in the moment and then I'll say something new or, or find something deeper about how to communicate this idea and then it ends up working. So I'll, I'll hang on to that. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Do you pretty much have, before you go out on stage, do you pretty much have start to finish a story that you're going through? Yeah, I, I always know pretty much like where I'm going to start, where I'm going to end, and, and the beats along the mm -hmm. way. Um, but I leave a lot of room because I discovered that I really like to improvise. I like to be in the moment. I like to be with the people in the room. You know, it's no fun if, if somebody says something or brings something up or if there's something obvious going on and it's unaddressed. It's like that's, I feel like the point of live performance is to be in the performance and to be live. So I always, if I'm doing, let's say, like a 50-minute show, I'll probably budget at least about 10 minutes to know that that's going to be off script and uh, that just to leave that leeway for myself. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, maybe I forgot what the question was already. I got so excited about the whole Yeah, just the storyline of, yeah, of the yeah. show itself. I always, I always know where it's going to start and end, but I don't necessarily know every step along the way or I leave some room to move. And can the order change? Sometimes, but I'm pretty, I get pretty locked into the way things are because 
the order of things helps me remember, uh, you know, what follows what. And in, at least in my mind, there's usually a flow to it um, that we're not jumping all over the place. Right. Yeah. So one of the things that I like to talk about on the show with a lot of different guests is, number one, how they found their passion. And then living their passion. Most people in life, I don't think, find or live it. Really, they're just going through the motions. They're, they go to school because they're yeah. told they have to go to school. They get a job because they have to you know, raise a family, the whole nine yards. So I, when I'm able to sit down with people like you, and I'm, I'm trying to do that. This is for me. You okay, know, like, cool, yeah. Well, so I'd love if you could just talk, spend a little bit of time and talk about finding your passion yeah. and now living it. Because it sounds like you did some other things. You taught English, you know, yeah. and it took a little bit. Yeah, but now it you're doing it. Um, let's see. I don't know. I think I was always interested in comedy and always interested in humorous writing and stuff like that. Um, once I started, like once I went to my first open mic, I just knew like that was it. I just couldn't not do it. Um, and it was years and years before I even took time off. Like it was almost like a being a junkie or something. Like if I had two weeks that I wasn't on stage, I got all like, oh, I got to get on stage, you know. Um, so it was just something I was interested in that felt right to me. I guess how I knew it was really right for me was that, and this is very cheesy but very true, is that through comedy I found I was, for, I was forced to become a better person. I was forced to work on self-development and self-growth. Like, I remember coming home after a horrible gig. It was, it was interesting because it was my first paid gig, so that was exciting. And it was also the first gig that I really bombed at. Like, I did so poorly. I just was a very bad match for the audience. The people, um, uh, I had been practicing or doing comedy for only about a month in Montreal. Like, uh, kind of urban, hip, well-educated city people. And then I had my first gig kind of out of town a different demographic. It kind of felt like I had gone back in time, like 15 years at least. I'm looking around like, all right. <laughs> and um, I wasn't skilled at all as a comedian. Um, so I went up there and basically just bombed for 10 minutes. This woman came up to me afterwards and said, <clears throat> excuse me, the like exact opposite of the feeling that I would want to get in people. She said, uh, oh, honey, we felt so bad for you up there. I was like, oh no, I don't want people to feel bad. And then the booker came over and gave me just $100 cash for 10 minutes. It was the first time I was paid. I was like, I could get used to this. So it was this whole mix of experiences. And then I went home that night and I was like, on the verge of, I guess, going into an old pattern, which would have been, oh, you know, I really screwed up and, um, you know, I guess beating myself up over feeling like I had done a bad job, but something just clicked for me, and I and I had this kind of revelation where I was like, I could I could do that. But that's not really gonna help me at all in comedy, or I could just be a friend to myself and look at things objectively and go, what worked and why, what didn't work, and why. So it was this kind of convergence really early on where I realized that I cared about comedy and I cared about that more than I cared about I guess anything else or old ways of being or uh, you know negative patterns that I might have been in in my own life so that's just a very long way to say that 
through doing comedy, I've been able to unlock all these really cool things about myself and about the way that I want to be in the world. Um, so for that reason, it just, it all clicks and I feel like I know that I'm on the right track. Yeah. Um, in terms of living your passion, I mean, I don't know. I think I've, I'm the youngest of three kids. Like, um, I think there was never too much pressure on me from my family about what I was doing or living a certain storyline. Um, I was kind of, you know, forgotten about, but I mean that in the best way possible, kind of left, left to myself to do whatever. I mean, I was already kind of the black sheep of my family just for like having a passport. I mean, you know, <laughs> it was like, so I was like kind of just doing my own thing. Everybody let me do it. So um, I may be unlike people in that way where it's never really been an option to me to do something that I'm not interested in or to live someone else's storyline or to live to please other people. Um, I've always kind of just fumbled around and, and found my own thing. Um, I guess that's it. I, I don't know. I've just oh, I've always been like that, even as a kid. And this isn't great, but I remember like one of my chores as a kid was emptying the garbage once a week. It was the biggest job you could have in the house. It paid the most. You could get $5 every week if on, on Sunday you emptied all the garbage cans and took them out. That's, that was like big that. money at the time. Check this out. I decided I didn't want to do it. <laughs> Interfered with my Sunday. I didn't like it. I was maybe only 10 or 11. And so I like quit my chore. And my <laughs> parents were like, well, if you quit, you're not going to get your allowance. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. I don't really feel like doing it. So. For, for better or worse, that it can have a negative aspect, uh, I've never really cared about, uh, I don't know, doing what was expected or doing anything that I don't want to do. That's really interesting. I just watched this week uh, the John Cougar Mellencamp documentary on Netflix. I don't know if you saw no, it. No, I haven't seen it yet, but I'd like to. Awesome. Yeah. Because it's exactly about what you just said. He, since he was a young kid, yeah. he did everything the way he wanted to do. Yeah. He didn't care what anyone else thought. So please watch that. I would love to see that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's only about an hour and maybe 20 minutes, so it won't even be as long as this episode. Yeah. Um, so really good. And then back to your first point on finding your passion. I hear this a lot with, with, with guests that something happened. It was kind of that fork in the road, you know, that either they were going to, you know, sulk in their sorrows yeah. and go back to their old ways or say, you know what? I'm going to learn from this experience and I'm going this way. Yeah. And that's so cool that, that you did that. And you just have to wonder, right, if, what if you didn't do that that day? What if yeah, you gave yeah. up that day? We may not be sitting here right now. Yeah. I think early on when I started, I felt like I was starting kind of late because I didn't start comedy until I was maybe 28. Um, and so I, I, I must have read something somewhere and it really resonated with me. And it was like, listen, you can... You can start what you want to do today and see where you're at in five years, or you could put it off or say that you're too old or say that it's not going to work or be full of fear, be full of doubt, whatever. And those five years are going to pass anyway. Um, and somehow that really spoke to me. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So could we talk about, I had a chance to listen to a lot of your clips over the last week and uh -oh. just wonderful work, <laughs> wonderful okay, work. So, you know, the, the, strategic side of me wants to say, okay, can we break down some of the things you talk about in a serious way? Like, 
you know, you talk about men, you know, straight men and women. People really liked that clip. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But it gets you thinking. Yeah. Like, right? Like, okay, maybe, maybe I should compliment my wife more, yeah. right? Maybe I should do the little things. And, and honestly, even before I saw that, like, my wife made me aware that I'm doing too much. You know, slow down. You're forgetting about some things. And so I've been doing that anyway. But now, after I saw your clip, I've been trying even harder. Um, I guess... Is there an underlining reason? Yeah. I mean, it's true, right? That, and you could talk about it much more articulate than I can, but um, it just seems like in general, if we're to generalize couples, relationships, um, it's not always, there's not always a, a good give and take. Yeah. It seems to be one-sided. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that much about like heterosexual relationships from lived experience, um, but I was that that bit where I, I think they titled it online uh, "Straight Men Step Up Your Game," which yes. is not how I thought of it, but that that yeah. phrase is in there somewhere. I think um, it came out of a really genuine place. The girl that I've been dating now for about four years, when we first got together. Um, she had only dated men until that point. So, we're in a, you know, it's early days in the relationship and um, we're on best behavior, I'm sure, but really nothing too far out of the unusual. And it was kind of shocking to me because she kept being like, this is incredible, this is amazing. I, I, I can't believe that, you know, we're in this relationship. And in my mind, I thought, this is all pretty standard stuff. I mean, you know, if you come to me Human with decency. Yeah, if you come to me with a concern, I stop and listen to it and we talk through problems and you know, um, I think so that was kind of shocking to me and then I realized I kind of stumbled on something that I thought might be true about men and women in relationships and just the quick quick cheeky idea that that men maybe aren't the best partners or aren't paying the most attention to to women. Um, so the same way I told you that I developed material, I, I sat down one afternoon and wrote some ideas, brought it out on stage that night in a very receptive room. Uh, and so it got a huge response and people were really into it. I'm like, okay, I'm onto something here. So I started developing this back and forth and, um, and you know, started realizing how to get the point across too, where I added something where at some point I said, and listen, I don't remember because since the, since the clip went so viral online a few years ago, I haven't done it since because people know it so it's it's really not fun and there's no surprises in it but um I say something like I'm not speaking to all the men just those of you that are feeling defensive and that always helped open that up and get people to listen because part of the problem I noticed was it it, it could seem like male bashing or it could right. seem and, and people would sit there like this so I tried to at least acknowledge that and, and lighten that up um the funny thing to me about that clip was I the one that went really viral was from a comedy festival in Winnipeg um, in Canada and I, I thought the I thought the the jokes were done enough to have recorded on TV but in my mind I was just getting started with that bit and that was really gonna grow and um, become something else because most of my close friends are men and I always felt like I was betraying them a little bit when I was doing this bit because I thought this may be true of a lot of guys but it's not true of the guys that I know like they're much more sensitive and in tune and thoughtful uh, than kind of how I'm portraying. So in my mind, I always wanted to come back to it and give it even more give and take. Um, but 
at the same time, I don't know, maybe nuance is the enemy of, of comedy. And, and as it was, people really responded to um, that clip went crazy. On Facebook, it had oh. like 46 million. million. Yeah, know. people are passing it back and forth. Yeah. And, um, it, you know, it's fine. I, I stand by it. Uh, but in my mind, it wasn't, it was a little too one sided still. But still, I mean, just again, from the outside in, you know, I just happened to listen to it this week. Yeah. And it had a two-fold feeling. I thought it was hilarious. Oh, good. But it also made me think, right? Like, in a good way. Like, yeah, you know what? I can still do a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, so that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be honest, and if I, if I were going back to really round out that bit, I mean, lesbians can take it the whole other way and get too codependent and too intense and, and too uh, focused on everyone's, like, minute emotion and feeling. I'm sure there's uh, some balance in there, but... Yeah. That's great if it made you made you think. The funny thing about it too is a response from, or at least the online response. And I don't look at it. I really don't look at it too much. I'm I I'm not very active online. Um, but there's a lot of disgruntled dudes on the internet. Uh, so that was kind of funny to see some of the negative response coming back because it is generally quite over the top, inarticulate. And the funny thing about it is it often just proves the point right. of of the bit yeah exactly um, yeah exactly um i also loved the t-shirt oh yeah hysterical. that's fun <laughs> well i'll tell you about that if we're if we're getting into it so i had this joke that i wrote more than 10 years ago where i saw a t-shirt that said rock out with your cock out right and i i kind of go through about how maybe that's not the best message it should be a little bit more about consent and i say that the shirt should say rock out with your cock in your pants until the time is right, the mood is appropriate, and we, you've been given an explicit verbal invitation to take that cock out. So the bit you saw, I think, was probably, I actually had those t-shirts made up, and then I reveal at the end that right. I'm wearing yes. one of those t-shirts. Um, but when I first did that bit, like 10 years ago, I hadn't made up the t-shirts, it was just kind of there. And no one, not no one, but people responded to it, but I had to drop it out of the act because it, it wasn't resonating with people. It, people didn't like it. And I really didn't change any of it. I just held on to it. And then um, now, you know, 2018 or maybe around 2015, it started working again. But that was a really interesting experience for me to have been in comedy long enough to see the cultural conversation change okay. and to see like social receptivity to that idea hmm. where it wasn't there before. Because, it was just too early. Yeah. Didn't... As a culture, we weren't really talking about consent. It wasn't on everyone's mind. I mean, that joke would do well at universities. It would do well with a certain kind of, but you know, mainstream. generally, yeah, like right. young, educated right. girls for the most part, but not mainstream. And then that was just so fascinating to see um, that people were then able to hear that hmm. a little bit more. Yeah. What's it like, what's the difference between performing at universities yeah. versus mainstream? Um, it's interesting, yeah. I was going to say that I prefer mainstream, but I don't know. I, I, generally like, uh, I generally like an audience that's as diverse as possible in ethnicity, age, gender, education level I just find that really fun and then there's there's inevitably some tensions in the room that I can kind of push against and um, 
I find that more interesting than any group that's too homogeneous. Mm -hmm. uh, when a group is homogeneous, there is a real opportunity there because you can assume a lot about the people that is often correct. If they're all of a certain age or a certain ethnicity or uh, one of the most homogeneous groups I ever did was I was at a very small comedy club that only sat about 50 people and they had rented out the whole club for this bachelorette party. So they were all girls in the bachelorette vibe between the ages of like 28 and 33. They all knew Jessica or whoever her name was. And so that ended up being really fun because they were, they were just such a solid group. So all I had to do was talk to them about them and they were really into it, right? Um, but and in general, I, I like a more diverse group. So universities are interesting because on one hand, they're, um, you know, they're all the same age, they're all the same experience level, more or less, uh, which can be limiting. Or, but what's fun about them at the moment, I think, is that the kids in general are kind of politicized uh, and sensitive, which I think is a, can be a good thing. You know, I'm not here like a... I think Jerry Seinfeld came out a few years ago like, I can't talk to these kids, you know, they're too sensitive or whatever. I think it's fun. But um, at the same time, they haven't been exposed to everything. They're like easily scandalized. And I find that very fun. Like you only have to say something that's maybe the tiniest bit edgy or... Um, and that's enough. And it, it's like sh kind of shocking to them. But I find it, yeah, I find it interesting and fun. Are you able to test out new material at universities versus mainstream? Yeah, I mean it's the same as anywhere where if you're new material you're going to want to you're going to want to put like in the middle of stuff that you know is going to work in case it doesn't okay. work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do people know that I have a dog? We haven't addressed it. What can these cameras see? Do you so think I'm this, just do you think I've been stroking myself this entire yeah, time? Yeah, this camera could definitely see. Okay, this there's a dog here. And and so could this one. Okay. You might just think it's like a colorful handkerchief that so I So tell us about your dog. Um she's just she's just a dog. Uh she's she's the best. I brought her with me today cuz I bring her with me everywhere. And uh officially, I have all the paperwork. She could be an emotional support animal, which isn't entirely true. Uh um but weirdly becomes more true the more I bring her everywhere. Yeah. But I'm like, I need her. Uh, yeah. But so we do you we bring don't her really to need Australia? to talk about her. I just got self-conscious that people didn't know oh, she was no here. Oh, no problem. Uh, do I bring her to Australia? I wish I could, but they have a, such an intense quarantine mm. for animals. Yeah, I did hear about yeah, that in the past. Yeah, so I can't bring yeah. her. Yeah, okay. So let's talk. One of the things I wanted to see if we could talk about is you talked about male white privilege yes so i'm all about diversity yeah i'm i'm bringing on guests from every walk of life because to me everyone truly has a story it's about the individual it's not about the color of your skin it's not about your ethnicity your sexual it doesn't matter but again so you you poke a little fun at it but again is there an underlining message there what what can white men do to improve the personification of it? Oh, that's a good idea. That's a good question. Right? Um, I think in general, and this is me just talking off the cuff, first thoughts here, but I think in general, um, some of the problem with the whole concept of like white male privilege and stuff is just that our culture 
the white male perspective is so dominant that people who aren't that realize that. But people who are white men would just think, well, this is just the world that we're in, and this is these are the stories that we hear, and these are our heroes, and um, this is just the default. So I think the main thing white men can do, and white women, is to listen to other voices and try to get um, as many different types of perspective on the world as possible. You know, read things by people that d don't share your experience, that are a different color than you, that come from a different country, that have something different to say. I mean, I, I find Twitter such a great resource for that reason. I follow all kinds of people from, um, I mean, different, different backgrounds, different countries, different political perspectives, different walks of life. And just to, just to kind of peek in and see what other conversations types of conversations people are having Smart. and I've learned a lot that way and yeah. I'm just I'm just it's that easy I'm just like leaning back passively looking at this stuff um, uh, but we just we, we all have such an opportunity to get information and new perspectives right now I, I don't think there's much of an excuse for being stuck in a very narrow way yeah. of, of seeing the world no and I totally agree and I see it you know I I do not like if there's two people in a position, one male, one female, and the male's making more money. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, or whatever it may be. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, it's, it needs, and hopefully, I feel the world is changing for the better in, yeah. in this regard. It, it's it's going to take time, obviously. But equality in general, you know, it's it's what I'm after you know, for, for our show. Yeah. And um, I hope that, you know, people could just start to look internally a little bit more, you know, so that great advice on, be, you know, expose yourself to, to others that are, that are different than you. And maybe you'll, maybe you'll learn something. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say the other thing for men, unfortunately, is not just expose yourself, but expose yourself and then just be quiet about it. <laughs> Take a minute. You might have feelings. You might want to uh, immediately argue with something that you read or, or see online. Just sit with your discomfort for a second and, and try to understand uh, why you're feeling that way. Good. Why it's challenging to you. Right. No, that's great advice. Yeah. So what is next for you? Oh, Anything yes. exciting coming out that we could looking out looking for yeah well the next big thing that's coming out I guess is in um, sometime in early 2019 and I don't know exactly when but January February I'll have uh, a special on Netflix so mm. that's cool that awesome yeah they're, they're doing a new thing I don't know what they're calling it yet at the moment it's called global stand-up series but I think they're gonna change that name so they've chosen um, for people from a bunch of different countries. So they're doing something kind of unprecedented. They're dropping 47 of these specials on the same day. Um, and then you'll be able to see comedy from all over the place. I, I got, sh even though I'm like officially American, I've been doing comedy. I started in Canada and that's where I live. So I got chosen as one of the Canadians. Congratulations. There. Yeah, thanks. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. It was really fun and it was really challenging to do. Um, Can you tell us about the experience? What what, what yeah. was it? Did they f follow you around? And yeah, well, no, we so we taped it in Montreal uh, this summer, summer of 2018. We did two shows in one night, um, and I was just doing half an hour, so it's a it feels a little more manageable than a full hour, you know. Um, 
and I, I tend to get freaked out for TV things uh, just because there's this pressure of feeling like you have this one chance and this is it. This is the joke that everybody's going to see. Um, you know, when you're doing live performances, as a comedian, it's like if anything messes up, that's fine. That's more fodder for fun. It's an opportunity to, to riff. It's a chance to be in the moment. TV feels like the opposite of that in a lot of ways, where it's like we need everything to go smoothly and, right. you know, don't mess up. And it needs, so that always makes me feel a little stressed out. Um, but I've been working on that over the years uh, and kind of trying to recognize that that's part of it. I got to fold that in. Um, so what was challenging was I did, the, I did the first show. I put my nerves to the side. I had really like prepared for it. Um, did the first show and reminded myself before the show, like, be present. Don't be freaked out by the cameras. Just be there with the people like you always are. And, and just, you can, you can have any kind of thoughts you want to have about this later. You can editorialize. You can whatever, whatever else if you want to be critical about it. But just in the moment, be in the moment. And I did it, and I had a great time. Um, I felt like that show went so well. I was like, okay, phew, that's great. We have one in the can. That'll be great. And then uh, there was just enough time between shows to go, because we taped two shows, to realize like, oh gosh, I have to do it all again. Um, where the idea of the two shows could have been like, oh, this is great. This is safety. If one doesn't go well, the other one will. You don't have to worry about it. But it was just enough time between shows to get like, re-freaked out about the whole thing. But was it the same show? Uh, yeah, so I'm doing basically the same jokes okay. uh, in, each, in each one. And they'll take the best of the two? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Okay. And then I did the second show and it went even better than the first show. So awesome. that, that was great. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to see that. Yeah, it's going to be really cool. I'm excited about it. That's great. What's the feeling like when you're on stage and you deliver that line and you get the roar? What, yeah. Is it, what, what, what can you compare that to? Gosh, yeah. I don't know if I can compare it to anything. Um, it's a really great feeling. I think what, what I like about comedy or why it feels like the path for me is because when I'm on stage and when I'm in it with the audience, um, I just feel the most like myself. Like I feel very free on stage in a way that I don't always, even in the, in the rest of the world. It's kind of opposite. Like most people don't want to speak publicly or are afraid of that sort of thing. And there's something about me and my constitution that that's, that's what opens me up. And so I obviously I love the feeling of, of making people laugh and making them happy. But for me, even more than that, what I love and what's only unlocked like in a live experience is when we're in the flow and we're having a good time and people are responding, that then oftentimes encourages me to just say something new, to be off the cuff. I, I, to me, the, the even better feeling is this moment of discovery on stage where um, I've just said something new that everybody finds really funny, and it was even a surprise to me. Right. Yeah, so I like that sort of thing. But you have that, you've, you have that freedom to be able to, to do that yeah. and test it in, yeah. in that zone. Yeah, so which, you know, um, I have to give the audience credit for or that that's something that we can only do together and that's what I find so interesting and so transformative mm. if an audience isn't responsive or if um, you know we haven't clicked I'm not gonna suddenly uh, riff something really fun for all of us because I'm not we're just not gonna be in that flow together sure um, yeah it's really cool that's awesome yeah um, I have to ask you about something 
I started this program called Live Tribe uh, a, couple, a few months ago, maybe five or six months ago. And it made me think about it when you were talking about being in front of a live audience. And what it is, it's, it's to help people get comfortable doing live video. So you join our private Facebook group. There's people from all over the world. And the idea is to do a one-minute video every day. That's it, oh, just one cool. minute. So um, what I didn't realize, even for myself, is that, and you talked about this, you feel very present when you're live. Even though you're just in front of your own phone, yeah. you know, doing a live recording, there's something about it that makes you you're thoughtful about your words. You know, you know you're live. It's a, in a private group, but still. But the feedback that we're receiving from people is very much the same what you said that yeah. when you're out on stage. So I just wonder from your perspective if you know you could see the, the relation between being on stage and, and doing a live video and if it may give you know the average person the same um, you know maybe benefit of, of helping themselves come into their own being more present in, 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 in general you know in life. Yeah, if maybe I don't, I'm, I agree with you, I'm on board, but I, maybe I don't understand if there's a question there. So do you think doing a live video yeah. could have the same effect as being live on stage? I think there are elements that could be the same to doing a live video and being live on stage. Um, well, maybe I don't understand how live videos work. Like, are you seeing a response from the people that are watching it? If you have an audience, yes. Yeah. So like right now, if you popped up, it would be an interesting experiment, actually. If you popped up right now on Facebook and did a live, yeah. instantly, hundreds if not thousands of people would start watching. And you can see. And you could see it. Yeah. And if you monitor it, you could, get, you, know, you could actually interact. And, yeah. you know, there's a whole, people do a lot of this. So, but, but I was more curious about the, the, the process of going live and yeah. then the feeling that you have on stage. And if we could somehow get people to apply that to their lives through live video yeah. to help them be more present, you know, to, to... Yeah, you're probably onto something. I imagine that uh, it's very similar in the way where, yeah, you are being thoughtful about what you're saying. You know kind of how, maybe, well, I was going to say you know how you're presenting yourself. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Um, but there, there's a lot to be said for just stopping and connecting with yourself and connecting with totally. the moment and attempting to, something transformative does happen when you're attempting to communicate with somebody else. Um, and maybe things come out that you may, didn't even plan. Yeah. And you said that even when you were on stage. Yeah. So it's, it, and that's, the, that's yeah. a really cool part of it. I realize that maybe one way to like quickly get to this idea that I'm talking about, about being live, um, and how I approach things is a little joke that I think is I think it's in the Netflix special I think he even said it there, but I talk about how um, I Feel like I do comedy differently than some of my colleagues I say, you know, and I and I say men because it's true I say a lot of the men get off stage and they say like I killed I murdered bah! You know, it's like very violent language and it's very kind of uh, On the on the ego and I say when I get off stage and I've had a good set. I'm like I feel like we really connected out there, you know? Like there's just this totally other way of being about it. Um, so that's really what I, what I get off on and what, what I'm excited about. So I'm sure that same thing is present when it comes to live video because you're connecting with people. Yeah. Do you have any mentors? Um, I have people that I look up to. I can't say that I necessarily like work with anyone presently. So you're not calling anyone to 
run things by them to say, should I do this or try this? Oh, I mean, you know, my friends and I are always kicking ideas back and forth, and I definitely have supportive people in my world. And, and my friend Christoph especially, um, he's a comic and, and one of my best friends. When I get things that feel like a big deal, he's always the first one that I'm like, Christoph, oh, I need, like, uh, at Just for Laughs this summer, which is a big uh, comedy festival in Montreal, uh, every year, and you wouldn't really know this unless you're, you're there, you're a part of that world. But every year they do this thing, Andy Kindler, this like um, really well-respected, and maybe not mainstream, that mainstream known, but this well-respected comic in the alternative world does this thing called the State of the Industry Address. Um, so he, he kind of roasts the industry in front of um, all the comics that are there at the festival, industry people, I mean, people with a lot of power and a lot of sway, anyone else who's at the festival. It's like a really... It's a great idea. It's a prestigious event within a prestigious festival, yeah. So this year, with about two or three hours notice, I got a text from Andy, um, who's like my hero. I love this guy. And he's like, will you introduce me at the State of the Industry address? Which was like a huge deal to me at the time. And um, it doesn't necessarily resonate in the outside world, but within that world was like a very big deal. People that have done this introduction, like Jim Gaffigan, like the huge names always introduce Andy. So this year it was me. So the first thing I do, I'm freaking out. And I know I have to say yes, because I have to. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know what I'm going to do. So the first thing I do is text my friend Christoph. And I'm like, Christoph, you got to help me. I'm, I'm going to send you some jokes. you know. So um, not necessarily a mentor, but somebody I can count on that I work with. So we came up with this. He helped me write this intro you know, just with a few hours. And um, to have those types of people That's in my awesome. world and, and comics that I look up to, but I don't, I don't necessarily work with like any, sure. any mentors, yeah. Who do you look up to? I mean, basically anyone, any woman especially that came before in comedy. Um, I love Paula Poundstone. I think she's incredible. Mm. Um, I got to meet her this summer, which was cool. really cool. Uh, Maria Bamford is a mm. comic that I really love. She seems to um, really kind of excavate the human experience and her, her own kind of personal experiences and demons um, and bring that to stage in a really funny way. I love her. Um, I had admired, well, I, I admire the comedy of Roseanne Barr, but then, you know, she's kind of gone a bit off the rails and said a lot of really problematic things, so that kind of stinks. But um, in terms of what she did with the sitcom Roseanne and just bringing such a fresh perspective yeah. to the world, that's Can't incredible. Can't take that away from her. Yeah. yeah. Ellen, of course. Ellen, I mean, sure. she's awesome. Maybe the, the thing I admire... The most about Ellen is um, having been completely kind of black blacklisted and, you know, she came out and then her career tanked. I, I don't think she worked for a few years. She didn't get any calls. And then for her to um, just to have maintained her own sense of stealth and generosity and spirit and humor and then now to come back and be dancing on millions of television sets in the middle awesome. of the day, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see you on Ellen. Yeah, I mean, that would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, what are your big goals? That's a very good question, and that's something that I am considering just right now in life. And I've actually, on the drive here, um, I was thinking to myself, why can't I sit down and like write some, write some goals? Um, I, I'm in general like very content with life. 
which is a good thing, but maybe doesn't lend itself well to these like big goals and ambitions. You know, like I'm very happy with every step along the way and the process and what I'm doing day to day. So truthfully, I need to clarify some of my big goals because I feel like I'm, I mean, even just making a living doing what I love is like, to me, that's, that's enough. That's like really an incredible thing to do. Um, I'd there's like, nothing wrong with that, right? No, there's nothing. Especially but it's, for a period. You yeah, know, but people do always ask, like, so what's next? What's coming right. up? You know, um, especially in an entertainment, there's this idea that you know you need to be the biggest thing or kind of like dominate uh, to be doing well. I'm I'm working on a few TV projects right now, which is exciting. Um, I am starting to dream more and think more about just having a wider reach, right? Um, uh, I'm excited for the Netflix thing to come out and, and for people to see more um, of my comedy. Like I guess the one of the small slash big goals, I mean I'm already kind of doing it, but I hope it only continues, is um, just traveling and doing stand-up, you know, going to different theaters, having people turn up and have a great time. That's, that's the dream as far as I'm concerned. And um, I'd love to work on various other kinds of projects. Um, but at the same time, to me, it's about those projects then feeding people knowing me so that I can go on the road and do stand-up and be in the room with the people. Right. Yeah. What about voiceover animation? I've done a bit of that. Yeah. yeah. You have a great um, voice. So I, yeah, I thought it would be fun. I could see a cartoon character. Totally. Uh, I've, done, I've only done that a little bit. Things have come to me, uh, and, I've, and I've taken advantage of that. Um, but I'm, I'm, you're talking to me at an interesting point because I just um, decided to get. They've been, you know, people have been kind of uh, approaching me for a few years, and I'm always like, I don't, I don't know. Um, but I just got representation in LA, and I'm working with someone that um, I really respect and that I really trust. So um, as we work together, I'm sure only more and more of these kind of things will come mm. about. His job. His job is exactly this, is to dream beyond what I dream for myself, because I'm very awesome. content. I'm like, oh, this is great. And he's like, well, yes, but. And sometimes you need those people in your life so you could focus on, on your thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Are you a believer in, um, you know, we, we, we become what we think about? You know, so if, if you're opening yourself up to that new opportunity, yeah. that, that could happen. Totally. I mean, it's really cool that you're talking about all this stuff right now because I've only recently kind of started getting back into things on this level. The idea of paying attention to my thoughts, like, like I said, really thinking about what I want for the next few years and then making it happen. I do think that that's completely possible. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any examples of when you thought about something, when you did open yourself up to say, hmm, I want, I want that. Yeah. And you, and you attained it. Well, I feel like my whole comedy career is really, is really that. Um, on, on, on various scales and levels, I mean, I can remember, um, even just on a small scale, I can remember being in a, in a theater in Montreal and, and watching a show and looking on stage and going, I want to do this sometime. And then probably less than a year later, I'm on that stage performing for those people that earlier, and I hadn't, it wasn't even that, not that it wasn't a strong desire, but I didn't necessarily go, I'm going to do everything in my power to get on that. It's just, that continues to happen all the time. Like even in Australia, I remember, um, you know, doing 
TV, TV gigs and a year earlier having been in the room as an audience member and seeing how it all happened and then the next year I'm there on stage. I just, I feel like that always happens. Even with, with Netflix that we've referenced, I'm sure that was on my list of goals, you know, from a year ago or two years ago, get a Netflix special. And I have no idea how it's going to happen or when it's going to happen, um, what doors to knock on, or, and, then, and then it just happens. Yeah. Um, and what I'm realizing, it's with that thought process or lack of thought process, when it does happen, don't, don't worry about how it's going to happen. Yeah. Just focus on your craft and what you do best. And, and these things, maybe it's not Netflix, but maybe it's something else. These yeah. doors will open if, if you open yourself up to it. Instead of being so rigid as we were, you know, kind of programmed, if mm -hmm. you will, um, growing up. Yeah, I'm a big believer in that. Um, yeah, knowing, I guess, knowing what you want or, or putting it out there and then letting it go and not worrying about all the hows of, of exactly how it's going to happen or what the steps are and then doing what you know you can do every day to get yourself closer to, to what you want. Yeah. What advice would you have for young people that are thinking about a career yeah. in comedy um, or young girls yeah. who aspire to do what you do um the jokingly the joking thing i like to tell everybody is quit <laughs> just because it's like it's it's kind of t tricky you know and so if you kind of don't have the metal to uh stick with it or to not listen to what other people tell you sometimes then it might be more difficult for you so um just as a joke i like to tell people nah, get out of it you probably you shouldn't do it um but in general, I'm like really excited for people that want to do that want to do comedy um, because for me, like I said, it's been so transformative and such a, an amazing part of my life. Um, I mean, it, the I read a book. I can't remember the name of the book, but maybe it was called the Comedy Bible that I read early on, and it basically just said, "Get good, get noticed." get paid. <laughs> that, those were the three Simple. ways to get good at comedy or to, to, to have a comedy career. Um, the comedy landscape is changing so fast that I, I only started about 12 years ago, but I feel like I don't necessarily know what to tell young people getting in in terms of what to do and how to do it. Um, I just think in terms of stand-up, like, um, just get on as many stages as you possibly can and just keep refining your voice and know that it's going to take years to actually be good at it. You may get good responses early on and, and that would be great if you do, but it will take years to become actually good at it and to find your own voice. It's like anything in life, right? Mm -hmm. No matter what we do, whether you're an athlete, an artist, a comedian, a doctor, it's practice. Mm -hmm. The 10,000 hours. Yeah, you yeah. have to put in the time. Yeah. Um, that's, that's great advice. Sometimes people approach me, I just remembered this, or they'll write me a message or they'll talk to me, I'm going to do my first open mic, do you have any advice for me? And I'm like, no, but, but talk to me after you've gotten on a hundred stages and, and tell me what you've learned and what you have questions about and then I'd be more than happy to talk to you about it. Yeah. Because early it's just about, it's, it's everyone's really on their own personal journey with whatever they're getting into. Um, and I don't think it's even that helpful for someone else to tell them anything. Right. I have a funny story. Um, I've been working on a novel for seven years. Cool. And seven years ago, I did the cover. 
<laughs> yeah, start with the cover. That's start the most the important cover, thing. Right? Yeah. And then uh, I started working with a guy, and I showed him the cover. He said, I, "I think there's plenty of time for that, but yeah. it's the same thing. You know, it's it's do the work. You need to put the work in." So here I am, set, literally seven years later. Yeah. And now, now I finally have the manuscript. Oh, that's great. You that's know, so. Good. so yeah. But things do take time, and I think when we're younger, it's 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 hard to see that. Um, we want instant gratification, especially today with all this social media. People, you know, they're looking up to people. I could do that. You yeah. Know, could, how do it? So it, it makes sense that uh, I like I like the response you gave after a hundred shows. Come yeah. back and talk to me. Yeah. Speaking of advice, if you were to take out your cell phone and call the twenty-year-old Deanne, oh, what would you say to her? Oh my gosh. Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. I guess that's a very good question. Um, I mean, it's interesting because I, I, I'm stuck on the idea right now that uh, everything happens the way that it happens and you can't... For a reason. Yeah, right? for yeah. a reason and you can't really change it. So I would probably encourage her to... Uh, to be more confident and to try more things, but she wouldn't listen to me. Not at that, that age. Doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny. I, I when I was twenty or maybe twenty-one, I was living in Baltimore, and I, I felt this urge to do comedy. Even then, I didn't start till I was twenty-eight. Um, and I went out. I, I wrote like a five minutes of something. I remember, and I had one of these really old like tape recorder, like voice recorder things, and I would sit in my room and voice record some stuff and write it down, and I, I came up with what I thought was a set, I mean, based on nothing, based on never having seen live comedy except on TV, and um, I didn't really know what I was doing, and I went to a open mic night at a club in Baltimore, and that night, the open mic night was canceled, there weren't enough people that showed up, and that was it. I didn't go back, wow. I didn't... Um, I didn't investigate other ones, uh, so and then, and then I soon after that I moved to Mexico where I started teaching English and doing all this. So comedy was kind of off the table and kind of forgot about it for a while. Um, but I think of that sometimes because it, to me it just illustrates that I wasn't ready right. to start then. I had the I had the inkling and I had the desire to degree and you know it was on my radar, but I couldn't have started any earlier than I did because I just didn't have it. Yep. I just didn't have it in me. No, and I think the fact of the matter is we're all on this journey mm -hmm. called life, and we are where we are for a reason. Yeah. And sometimes we could try to force things early, but may not be the best thing. And we're, you know, we're woken up to things that, um, you know, maybe it, you need to spend more time, you know, uh, just experiencing life before you could get to your desire. Yeah, yeah, I think about that a lot. Like I, I wasn't emotionally mature enough or strong enough in myself to have started at, mm -hmm. the, at that age. Yeah. Yeah. So are you, can you give us any materials or some, something you could give us today that... Um, I don't know. My, what do you mean? Like tell you a joke? Yeah, or oh, something God, like, no. you, like <laughs> nothing that... I mean... I can, no, I can't even, I can't even really think of how that goes. I've been staying with my dad while, I, while I'm here, and he is full of jokes, but he's full of, like, street jokes that I assume he must have learned when he was, like, in, younger than 13 or 13, because they are all really blue, like, they're not okay, and 
he tells them. So I'm trying to think of... Does he think they're funny? Yeah, he thinks they're funny, but they're always like off color. Is he trying to give you some like pointers? He's just... <laughs> one of them is like... here's This is really awful. It's like um, Jack and Jill went up the hill each with a quarter. Jack... Jill came down with 50 cents. They didn't go up for water. <laughs> this is the only joke that's on my mind right now. Okay. My dad has told me this joke every day since I've been staying at the house. Um, I don't think he remembers that he tells me oh. it every day. And it's truly awful. Oh. <laughs> it's truly awful. So we have Netflix coming up. Yes. What else? Anything else that, that you're working on that we could oh, keep an eye out keep for? Keep an eye out for. Just uh, look me up on any of the social medias, and I'll try to tell you what I'm up to. Awesome. Yeah. Well, this has been wonderful. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Um, there is one last question I'd okay. like to ask you before you leave, and I ask every guest. All right. And that is, what do you ultimately, what do you want your legacy to be? Oh, my God. Jesus. What do you, sorry, I just woke up my dog. What do you want your legacy to be? That's so intense. Um, I mean, it, you know what? It's actually, a, uh, now that I'm, like, relaxing, it's as simple as... I want uh, people to, to when they remember me, I want them to feel good about themselves and about whatever experiences that we've shared. I want to put more positivity than negativity into the world. Um, really, that's it. You like to make people laugh. I like to make people laugh, but I also like to make people feel good about themselves. Awesome. Yeah. Deanne Smith, thank you so much. Thank this you. This has been fun. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate Thank I appreciate you. Your time. Thank you for tuning into American Real. Be sure to visit our website, AmericanReal.tv, or search for us on iTunes or YouTube for past episodes. While you're there, please rate us or leave us a review. You can also connect with me directly on Instagram or Facebook or by emailing roger at americanreal.tv. Now, if you're interested in starting your own podcast, join me in Podcast Your Passion. I'll take you through my eight-week course where I'll mentor you to build a world-class podcast. I'm only taking on a small group of people who want to share their passion through broadcasting where I'll have you up on iTunes and YouTube within weeks so you can podcast your passion. Click on the link below for more information.